we're gonna read. Why don't we just stand to just mark a posture in our hearts. We're gonna read one verse, two verses, a verse and a half out of um, Revelation chapter one. And this is one of my favorite verses in the scripture. It's marking my heart this year. Halfway through verse five, it says this. This is John writing. He says, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. And this is what we've been singing all morning. And this is the word of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word and for your spirit that illuminates, that brings light to dark places, that speaks to the depths of our hearts. We just pray right now that your spirit would lead us through your word. Holy Spirit, you would reveal Jesus to us and you would take us deeper in our knowledge of you so that we might experience what we've been asking to know you more. So I just pray right now, specifically those for those who this is new to, Lord, that there would be a enlightening and awakening that is beyond our sensibilities and straight to our hearts. And for those of us that have known you for a long time, God, you would give us the same thing. And that we would grow in our knowledge of you today and who we are in you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You guys can have your seats. Thanks, Sam. I've been considering in preparation for what I believe God wants to speak through his word today that we can often miss out on the fullness of what he has available to us because of certain categories that we keep in our minds. Walk with me for a second. If we think what we're doing here today in this moment, Sunday, 10 a.m. on our calendar, if we think lifting our hands and singing praise is a function of religion, then we're going to miss out on so much of what he has in that space. If we think it's just for a Sunday or if we just compartmentalize this as part of our lives, we're going to miss out on, of course, what he has for us in the rest of our lives. Particularly because we're misunderstanding off the bat what it means to engage God. It's not supposed to be a function of religion. It's not supposed to be just a category that we place on a Sunday. And if it is one of those two things for you today, that's why we're having this conversation. This isn't about you being rebuked. This isn't about you uh, feeling judged about that space. It's, it's, it's something that we all need to understand and enter into this conversation. If we think this is just about certain groups of people, those are the ones that like to worship. Those are the ones that like to sing a little louder or lift up their hands. Those are the ones that love Jesus more. That's not me. That's them. They're super spiritual. If we continue to hold those categories in our hearts, then we, all of us that hold those categories, will miss out on the fullness of what he wants to do in our lives. Would you agree? At least fundamentally understand that if we place him in a category that he doesn't belong, then we're going to miss out on who he is. Right? But in reality, 
And in contrast to that, this book and who it points us to isn't about categories. It's not about religious mindsets. It's not about even religious practice. It's all about what it means to be human. That means that if you're human here today or hearing the sound of my voice, and you're not a robot or an animal, you're a human, it means that everything that is in this book and everything that it points us to is for you. It's for where you're at. It's for how God's made you to be. It's what it means to be human, to be alive, to be fulfilled. And so if you're looking for fulfillment, if you're looking for life, if you're looking for the reason for which you were born, this is the foundation and the beginning of finding any of that out. And you may not fully believe that, but that's why I'm here today, to convince you. <laughs> not because of my intellect or ability to speak, but because of the Spirit of God, who will speak straight to your heart and move outside of any box that you place him in. Praise God for that. See, God didn't just create us, create us. He created us with intention, with purpose, with design. And if we look out into this world or even into our own hearts or families, we see our need for Jesus in the brokenness of that design. In the brokenness of our lives, in the slavery to sin of certain mindsets. We see that God has a design, but the design has been broken. And if we understand that there is a design and God designed it and there's brokenness, we need something in that space. And that space is called redemption. We need God's design to be redeemed in our lives. Because if there's any amount of brokenness or pain or fatigue, depression, anxiety, or fear in your life, we can understand then that that wasn't God's design from the first place. But if you look and see that God designed you to be full of life, full of purpose, full of abundance, peace, joy, love, all of his attributes, and you're not living in that, we have to do some deduction here and see that there's been brokenness. There's been a skew on that design. And if we believe in the message of Jesus, we know that he has come to redeem, to bring us back into what was first designed. Right? Through faith in him, which is our need for Jesus. We cannot live in the fullness of what it means to be human, to live in that design to be fully alive without his redemption. This is why we worship him. This is why we look to him. Because it's through him that we are redeemed. Or another word that we're going to look at today, it's through him that we are recreated. It's through him that we are made new. It's through him that we go back to the reason for which we are alive. I'm going to read this scripture again. To him, Jesus, who loves us and freed us from our sins by his, by his blood. And listen, has made us. Can you say made us? made us? So when we say redeemed or recreated or made new, this is exactly what it's talking about. He has made us to be a kingdom. And priests to serve his God and Father. He has made us, recreated us, redeemed us to be a kingdom and redeemed you to be a priest. 
who was part of a group of priests. I don't know if you've ever considered that before about your purpose in life and about why you are here and what it means to be fully alive. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. This priesthood language is language that Peter brings up called a royal priesthood. Have you heard that phrase before? This is who we are. We're a royal priesthood. But how many of us know what that means? Do we walk around with a crown and a, and a white thing on a black shirt? No, that's not what it means. But it means that we're part of something that you may have never considered before in your life. This is who you are in Jesus, a royal priesthood. And I will repeat, to be a kingdom and to be a priest is the reason you were born. We want to find our purpose, right? I think that is part of the human quality or the human condition. We're looking for reasons why we're alive. And when our expectation doesn't meet our desire, that is the space in which we struggle, isn't it? It keeps us moving, but also sometimes keeps us down and grounded. And here comes Jesus to say, this is who you were born to be. And many of us are like, yes, that's amazing. I want that. But many of us would be like, no, no, no. That's not what I was talking about, Jesus, when I wanted purpose. I wanted money or affluence or this or that. And Jesus says, this is the reason why you were born. We look at family or relationships or career or ministry as the fulfillment of our purpose. And the good news is that is connected to your purpose. We're not separating the two things. We're just prioritizing the two things. In Jesus, your identity is now rooted in something beyond yourself and more foundational to the whims of your desire, which might be one way one day and different the next. Praise God for that. Yeah, when you signed up to go to school and you spent hundreds of thousands of dollars in four years because you thought this was your purpose, and then 10 years later you realize, oh, that's not my purpose. Praise God there's purpose for you that's connected deeper than your fleeting emotions. Praise God. That's what we're going to be talking about today. I'm going to show you why what we do here together, worship, is why you were born. And why it is where ultimate fulfillment begins. What we just did. Anybody leave a worship service ever before in your life? You encountered God's presence. You're like, this is the most amazing thing I could ever feel. Because you're in that moment interacting with why you were born. To encounter the living God in worship. This is where ultimate fulfillment begins. But of course, worship is not just on a Sunday, although I'm pointing to what we just did, but it's not on a Sunday. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is a culture because worship is not just song. It's not just lifting our hands. Worship is honoring his presence. And his presence isn't just found here. His presence is, if you're in Jesus, found here. 
So if you desire a lifestyle of worship, you, in every waking moment of your life, have opportunity to honor his presence with worship. Worship is honoring who he is. It's honoring who he is, where he is. Let me unpack that for a second. If he's here, you're not honoring him out there. You're honoring him here. And I didn't put this in my notes, but I'll go here for a second. This is why Paul says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? You, every moment of every day, how you engage your body, how you engage your mind, how you engage your soul is an opportunity for worship. Honoring his presence, honoring who he is, where he is. I want you to take that home and think about it. So we have to understand what the scriptures mean when they talk about priests, because Revelation is the last book in this library of books. It is the last one, but the idea of it didn't begin there. But the idea of it, of course, is affirmed there, that what we knew about the priesthood is still on the table, that we now are the priests that were pointed to long before in history. Priests were the ones that had access to God's presence. There was their, their unique role and their unique function. And through the life of the Hebrews in this nation, this came, this access for the priests came through cleansing rituals and sacrifice. And by the way, if you got my tone yet, I'm teaching today. I'll stand up and preach in a little bit, but let me teach, okay? So posture yourselves that way. Okay, posture yourself. By the end of this, you're going to get a theological degree, okay? I'll sign it for you. It won't mean anything, but you'll feel good. I'm going to teach today, okay, for, for a little bit so that you know that what we do is rooted in something way more substantial than your feelings, way more substantial than, than, than um, the type of church that you go to. Protestant, Catholic, it, it's, not, it's not even about, it's way deeper than that. And I want to show you that today, how, why lifting your hands matters, and why you need to tell your soul that it matters. So the priests were one that had access to God's presence, and the Hebrew nation, the Hebrew, Hebrew culture, there was a group of people called the Levites who were the only ones that had access to God's presence in that particular way. But they had to go through cleansing rituals. They had to sacrifice to atone for their sin. This is the only way into God's presence. They didn't just atone for their own sin. They atoned for the nation's sin. Okay? And in his presence, in that place, they would minister to God. They would worship him. So we can't just stop short of them having access to his presence. What in the world did they do when they had access to his presence? They ministered to him. They worshipped him. But the role of the priest came way before there was even a need for those cleansing rituals. The priesthood didn't start there. All the way back to the Garden of Eden, the first chapter of the first book, we see the priesthood exist. We see God's intention and his design for humanity, for you and I for what it means to be alive. See, Eden was this paradise within creation. It was a garden 
The whole earth was not Eden. Eden was a specific place on the earth that God called a garden. It was beautiful. Read Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. There was no death. Everything in the Garden of Eden lived in harmony. It was God's design. But it wasn't just a beautiful place with no death. It was where heaven met earth. The Garden of Eden. God lived in perfect harmony with humanity. It was heaven on earth. This is why it was the Garden of Eden. Because God and man, the spirit realm and the natural realm, heaven and earth coexisted in the same space. This is beautiful. And then God commissioned Adam and Eve, you remember this story, to tend this garden and to keep this garden, to name the animals, and then to spread this garden to the ends of the earth. In other words, they were commissioned to steward the space where God and humanity existed together. They were to steward the space where heaven met earth. Adam and Eve were the first priests. And the first temple, the first tabernacle, the first church, the first place that God communed with humanity was the Garden of Eden. And their role was to steward this place and spread it to the ends of the earth. That's what we see here in Adam and Eve. To care for and to tend the environment where heaven and earth were in the same place. To steward the space of God's presence. See, the idea of the priest did not begin as a religious one. It was the role of humanity It was why humanity was created, to be in communion with God, to be in relationship with him, and to honor that relationship, to honor the role that God gave humanity was called worship. It was simply that. I don't know if there was musicians. I don't know if there was instruments. I don't know if any of that exists in the garden. But I do know that worship existed. We know that worship existed because worship was honoring the relationship that they had with God. And then we see what happened, right? They dishonored God by eating from the tree that God said they couldn't. And then they were kicked out of Eden. They were kicked out of this space where God and humanity lived together. And they were separated from God's presence. They literally forfeited their role of being priests because they did not honor and worship God in what he gave them. He was simply looking for obedience. But this did not stop God's pursuit of humanity. God did not stop pursuing them to redeem the purpose he gave them in the first place. You guys with me? Anybody traumatized because of high school or college classes right now? Making eye contact and people are like dodging me like. (laughs) This is good. I'm talking to you right now about the reason why you're alive. Mm -hmm. 
God did not stop pursuing humanity to redeem the purpose he gave them in the first place. Just because they screwed it up did not mean that God was done. And he shows up to a man named Abram. I'm skipping a few things here, but he shows up to a man named Abram, who he later called Abraham. And he says, I'm going to make a nation out of your children, and that nation will bless the whole earth. It's very similar to garden language. Remember, you were to fill the earth and subdue it. His design was coming back again through Abraham. I'm going to bless you so abundantly that the world through you will be blessed. It's garden language. And then Abraham has a son named Isaac, and Isaac has a son named Jacob, who was later named Israel. And then this nation of Israel is formed over 400 years in slavery in Egypt. Many of us would know this story. And then God calls a man named Moses. And God says, I've heard the cries of my people. Moses, go deliver them. Go say, let my people go. And then they're delivered from slavery in a mass exit. This is beautiful. It's salvation. This is what God does. He sends a deliverer. And we have one in Jesus. And then after they're delivered, they leave Egypt. God calls Moses up to a mountain to be in his presence. He's bringing this motif of Eden back to them again. This mountain, its, its, its peak, its pinnacle, represented what Garden of Eden represented. This place where man, where heaven and earth could exist in the same space. So he calls Moses up the mountain and God descends in a cloud. And they are there together in the same place once again. And we get this in, in Exodus chapter 19. In verse 3 it says this. It says, then Moses went up to God, and the Lord, Yahweh, called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, to this nation, and what, say, what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourself have seen what I did in Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you, out, brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully, here again is this language, Obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, listen, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. This was God's intention for the whole nation to be this hot spot of God's presence on earth. So wherever they went, whatever place they occupied was the place where God and humanity coexisted. And from that relationship, the entire world would be blessed. He's bringing his design back. All these ideas of Eden are coming back to the forefront, a nation that would have access to God's presence. This is how he was going to bless the world. But now they had to pursue and find their way into God's presence by different means than they had from the beginning. Sin was now part of their story. Brokenness was now part of their story. So in order to access God's presence again, they needed to go through sacrifice, the cleansing of blood. They needed these rituals to become a holy nation to interact with God again. This is where the law comes in. Here are the ways in which you need to behave and think and act amongst our, your, yourselves and with your families. This is what you need to do to have access to my presence again. But nonetheless, I'm going to give you access to my presence. So this law comes. The covenant comes. Exodus chapter 32. 
Moses comes down from a mountain, spending 40 days with God in his presence. He comes down the mountain and he sees this nation worshiping a golden calf. Many of you know this story. It was unto Yahweh, but it, but it wasn't Yahweh. And they were mixing up their revelation of God and the old gods. And they were all coming to this place together, which really dishonored God. Because God said, you'll have no other gods before me. You will worship no other gods. I'm the only one. And here Moses comes down the mountain off of this new Eden, and he sees what's happening here. And it was a bad day for Israel, let's put it that way. They really dishonored God. God wanted them to honor his presence, and here they were acting like Adam and Eve again looking elsewhere for purpose, looking elsewhere for sustenance, looking elsewhere for fulfillment. And then Moses does this. He draws a line in the sand. And he says, all those for Yahweh come over here. And what we see happen is this tribe, the Levites, they come on the other side, but it was only the Levites. Everybody else wanted to party. Everybody else wanted to worship other gods. Everybody else wanted their old ways. The Levites were separated unto God. And scholars believe from that moment on, even though God wanted the whole nation to be priests, it was the Levites who were designated priests. So then what God wanted for the whole nation was relegated to one specific people group. Here we are again, falling short of God's design because of being distracted by other things. But here's the priesthood, it's formed, it's the Levites. And that's what many of us would know about the priesthood in the Old Testament. They were the only ones who could access God's presence, still through cleansing rituals and purifications. And only one person out of all of those people once a year could enter the Holy of Holies. Only one person. And Shirley talked about the, the, the curtain being ripped. The curtain was the thing that divided the Holy of Holies from the inner court and the outer court. And only once a year someone could go in. And so when it ripped, Jesus, that's what Shirley was talking about, made access again to the presence of God. But in that time, the priest, only once a year from the high priest. And in their time together, this is important. We're almost through the teaching, okay? You guys doing okay? Yeah. Some people are crying. I love it. This is good. <laughs> Feeling God's presence through the teaching. This is amazing. The place of God's presence in their nation, and they were nomadic people for a long time, in where they would gather, the space of his presence was called the tabernacle. It was this tent that was set up with a very specific design, and they call it the tent of meeting or the tabernacle. And all of its symbols and motifs, all of its design pointed back to Eden. And so what they understood then is that they had this little Eden in the middle of their nation. So God is bringing it back again and saying, this design that I had from the beginning is still what I'm going to use to bless the world. Although now it's just for these few people within the nation. But nonetheless, I'm here with my people. And when God designed his tabernacle, this is what he said. Do it this way. Design it this way. Build it this way because this is where I will meet my people. It wasn't just a space in which people were begging for God to come. It was a space that God designed so that he could still have access to his people. Because he knew that this was the way that the nations would be blessed. It was only with his presence. It was a place, again, with them where heaven met earth. And then they eventually make it to the promised land. 
and they want a king, right? They disconnected from God again. All the other nations have a king. God, can you give us a king? And God's like, I am your king. But nonetheless, if this is what your heart wants, I'm going to give it to you. They get Saul. Saul's a rebellious king. He screws a lot of things up. Then they get David. And David said, it's not good that I live in a palace and my God, Yahweh, is in a tent. And so what they did was they built a temple. Solomon's temple was the first one. Same thing. This amazing place in the center of their nation where God dwelt with his people. And all of the motifs, someone's excited back there. All of the motifs and all of the, the imagery and all of the design, again, pointed back to Eden. It was a space on earth where heaven came. And the priests could go into that space and meet with God and worship him and then go back to the people and deliver to the people what they experienced with God. Spread what they experienced in the presence of God to the ends of the earth. This is the priesthood. Whew. And then we have this temple, and just as a note, it was destroyed in the Old Testament once, and then it was rebuilt. There was two temples in the Old Testament. But the good news is that this nation was far from what God designed for humanity to bless the world. It didn't stop there. And then Jesus himself, we know this story, he shows up. The Son of God shows up. And in John 1, verse 14, it says this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. In other translations, it says this, the word, capital W, became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. So what we saw in the Old Testament was this tent and this tabernacle. Jesus shows up and he says, I am now that tent. I am now that tabernacle. I am now the place where heaven meets earth, where God in Jesus meets humanity in Jesus. The one who is fully God and fully man represents now what used to be in the tabernacle. What was designed for the Eden, it is found in Jesus. He came and dwelt. Here it is again. God's design for heaven on earth in the God-man, Jesus Christ. Fully man and fully God. And if you're wrestling with the divinity of Jesus, here it is. It was important. It's important for us to understand that the fullness of God lived in Jesus. And the fullness of God in Jesus dwelt among humanity. It was the tabernacle with us. That's why this language is very important. He was the fulfillment of everything God designed. That's why the scriptures say that Jesus is the new Adam. He is the redemption of what was supposed to be from the beginning. The archetype of all humanity. Yeah, you good? And then Jesus says in John chapter 2, interesting, but it's important language. Jesus said, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will restore it. He wasn't talking about a building anymore. He was talking about him, his body. He was the temple. And then Jesus dies, and then he resurrects. We know this story. I feel bad skipping this over, but we all know this. And then he says this, the spirit cannot come until I leave. And he ascends, 
And then the Spirit comes at Pentecost, this Jewish festival, and then the church is born. And then Paul gives us this language, and he says this, that we are now the temple. We are the space that God designed from the beginning in which heaven meets earth. Please say wow with me. <laughs> that was a little sarcastic, but I'll take it. I want you to see this narrative. I'll review it real quick with you. Garden of Eden, God's perfect design for heaven to meet earth. Perfect humanity. Perfect creation. Humanity rebels, dishonors God, disobeys God. They're separated from God's presence. Right? God reapproaches his people in Abraham and says, I'm going to make a nation out of you, and that nation is going to bless the whole world. The reason that nation is going to bless the world is because my presence is in that nation. I desire that whole nation to be priests, to interact with my presence. But because of the rebellion, just like Adam and Eve, I can't have that happen. My presence is supposed to be a place that blesses the world. And I need to retain that. So he calls a people, the Levites, to steward his presence. It happens in a tent called the tabernacle, which is a reflection of Eden. You with me? Okay. David says, tent's not good enough. I need a temple. Temple is a place, it's, we see in Chronicles, that the presence of God comes and dwells in the temple. So powerful, the glory of God, that the priests couldn't even walk in. Eventually, they could. And so, humanity dwelled with heaven again. It was a place where heaven meets earth. The temple is destroyed, they rebuild it. But it's not in the splendor that it once was, because Jesus is coming. The word became flesh and dwelt among them, tabernacled. Jesus was the place where God and humanity met. And then Jesus says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will restore it. He raises to new life, and he says, I got to go so the spirit can come, because I have in mind a new temple. The new temple is my church. One dwelling made up of many people in which God lives by his spirit. I should have just done that from the beginning. (laughs) We are the place where heaven meets earth. We have this access to God's presence, not through cleansing rituals and animal sacrifice, but through the perfect and final sacrifice of Jesus, who atoned for all of our sin. So God's design that he had at the beginning for Eden, Eden is now our inheritance. That this is the place where heaven, where God and humanity coexist. Praise the Lord. He is our high priest. He goes in. I want to read Revelation 1 again. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests, listen, not to serve our purposes. What do the priests do? They served God, his father. And here's how they served him. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Friends, this is not a religious idea. 
This is what it means to be human. This is what it means to be fully alive, to be the place where heaven meets earth. To be a priest is to be fully human, fully alive. I hope we can say amen. Amen. Do you agree? Just like Eden, our purpose is to influence the earth through our access to the presence of God. I hope I'm teaching okay. Okay, now you have your theology degree. (laughs) Your next resume, just write it down and see what happens. Understanding what I just taught you is where life begins. If you've been missing out on life, give it another shot. This is where it begins. And our job as priests, good news, is no longer earning access to God's presence. Our job is honoring our access to God's presence. That is worship. To him who loves us. I'm not going to stop repeating this verse because I love it. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve as God and Father forever. This is our reality. Now here is our response. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. These are the truest and most powerful words you can ever speak. But this cannot remain a theological checkmark. It cannot. It is the introduction to your purpose. We get to go back to Eden and do with our free will what they didn't. Honor their access to God's presence. You ever had the thought of Adam, why, Adam and Eve, why, why couldn't you just do better? But if that's how you felt, now's your chance. <laughs> I mean, your chance. We get to do what they never did. Honor, access to his presence. And one sin, one screw up is not going to kick us out. Because we have Jesus, the perfect and final sacrifice, who gives us unlimited access to his presence. Our job is not earning it or trying to keep it. Our job is to honor it. So what we've been talking about is God's design. But now what we need to talk about is our desire. Worship is where those two things meet. Worship is when God's design meets our desire. When God says, my design for humanity is full access to my presence. Worship is when we say, actually, that's also my desire. Because it's God's design for all of humanity, yet there's only a specific few people most of which are in this room right now. Well, I should rephrase that, which is the essence of this room right now. We're not starting a cult, don't worry. There's other people that love God too. I'm trying to keep my grammar in check. That is the essence and identity of the people in this room. How's that? Our desire is to honor his presence, but it's not just a cute thing for us. This is his design for humanity. But you just have tuned into that design and said, I actually want to respond to it with my desire. See, God doesn't want our religion. 
He wants our hearts. He will never let religion undermine relationship. And the function of our free will is to choose him. That's what he wants. He wants us to choose him because he chose us. And now the ball is in our court. See, desire matters in worship. And if you would look, you can look on the cameras afterwards. You can, you can see desire in this place. You can also see lack of desire in this place. Desire matters in worship because it is a function of our free will. He wants our hearts. That's good news for you and I. That he's not going to force you one way or another. But he wants your heart. But look at what Jesus says, though, in the Gospels. What's the greatest commandment, they asked him. I want you to hear the word commandment. I'm going to tease Sam for a second. He said God asked us to love him with all our strength in worship today. He didn't ask us. He commanded us. Wait a minute. I thought we were talking about free will here. I thought we were talking about the desire of our heart. He says this. With all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Commandment, not suggestion. Commandment. And this, the, that's the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. And all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. And by the way, this is priesthood language. The role of the priest was to love God with all their mind, heart, strength, soul, all these things. And then to go and love other people with what they received in that place. It's priesthood language. He's bringing it back again. All of the law was to prepare a people to commune with my presence and to change the world through that communion. Love God with everything you are and then love your neighbor with everything that God loved you with. It's priesthood language. But how can God command love? If you've ever looked at this scripture this way, it seems like God is legislating love which doesn't seem like love at all. It would be like me in here, like walking around. Lift your hands. Smile. Sing louder. Show God that you love him or get out. It's a commandment. What is Jesus telling us? If his heart is for our heart, then how in the world could he command love? How do I love God? Genuinely, when I feel like I don't love him. And maybe I love him, but I don't feel like loving him. How can I worship when I don't feel like worshiping? How many of you asked that today, this morning? You don't have to raise your hands, but I see you. That's a good question to ask. In the command, Jesus is saying that love is not just a feeling, it's a choice. To understand, sometimes what I need to think should take precedent over what I want to think. Let me say that one more time. Understanding what Jesus is leading us to in this verse is this, to understand that sometimes what I need to think should take precedent over what I want to think. 
Meaning this, I will choose to love even when I feel like not loving. When I don't feel like loving. This is not religion. This is maturity. What God is commanding is for us to do what we were born to do. And he doesn't flirt with it. He's saying, this is why you're alive, to love God and to love people. And I'm not going to dance around your feelings for you to know what I need you to know for your life. He's not going to make suggestions about his design. He's going to say, this is my design. And if you want to walk in it, this is what it looks like. The good news is that loving God is the best thing you could ever do for your life. He's not shackling you to religion. He knows exactly what he's commanding. And he's saying to us in that, don't follow your feelings. Tell your feelings where to go. He's inviting us into something deeper than our feelings. That's maturity. Just like a marriage, you put a ring on once, right? But you have to wake up every day and choose what you chose again, whether you feel like it or not. And sometimes if you follow your feelings, that will not be a healthy relationship. But when you choose to send your feelings in a certain direction, your feelings will catch up. There are times when I come in this room or I'm at my house and they say, God, I don't feel it today, but I know it today. I choose to love you, and I'm going to let my feelings catch up. And it might be a season of dryness where you don't feel anything, but you say, God, I'm a priest. You made me to be one. So to you be the glory forever and ever. Amen. But here's the catch. You cannot do that. You should not do that unless you're first loved by him. He gives you one moment of experiencing your love, and that one moment is enough for the rest of your life to choose his love. But you have to choose it. Don't make him prove it over and over again. He proved it once on the cross and reveal it to your heart by the Holy Spirit, and you said yes. So just like a marriage, you have to choose again what you chose once. If you don't think you have a healthy relationship with the Lord, you don't have to look further than marriage. The reason why it's an unhealthy marriage is because you've stopped making the choice to love when it's hard to love. Now, God is never hard to love inherently. He is love itself. But my ability to know that and feel that and think that every day is compromised because of the brokenness of this world and the brokenness of humanity. This is why Jesus came in flesh to show us what it looks like for God and humanity to dwell together. And then the Holy Spirit reveals that to us and we say, that's me. That's what I was born for. That's what I want. We were predestined to be conformed to his image. He showed us the new humanity. Is this good? I told you I was going to preach. Some of you might be right now the furthest thing from feeling his love. Immaturity will respond to that feeling. Maturity will say, no, 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 he's already proven his love in fullness to me. 
and I will not follow my heart. Hopefully that triggers somebody in this room. I will not follow my heart, and I will tell my heart where to go. I just, just follow your heart. That will lead you to infinite different places in one single day. <laughs> Do not follow your heart. Tell your heart where to go. Speak the truth. See, we're talking about salvation, one choice, right? But the, 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 the choices that you make after that one choice are not salvation. The choices that you make to love God after that one choice are worship. Worship is just saying yes again and again to what you said yes to in the first place. If you want to be my disciple... You must deny yourself daily. Take up your cross and follow me every single day. Sam, team, you guys can come back. It's a prophet in the Old Testament. Actually, I'm going to wait till you guys get settled. Can we have an intermission? I don't want to, like, drop a punchline where everybody's distracted by the musicians coming up. How many of you guys desire Jesus? Like, show me your hands. Like, don't be, yeah. If you don't, that's okay. We're here. Great. That was our intermission. Awesome. The prophet Haggai. You can take a seat, bro. Okay. The prophet Haggai says this about God in the Old Testament. He says that God, Yahweh, is the desire of the nations. Yahweh is the desire of the nations. I don't know if that strikes you odd or not, but to me that's an odd phrase. Because if I look at our nation, I'm like, this nation does not desire God. Look at the nation to the south. I'm like, some of them say they do, but as a nation, like, doesn't look like they desire God. As a nation, there might be some. As a nation, keep going down the map. You go to America. Nah. Doesn't seem like God's the desire of that nation. But Haggai, the prophet, says boldly that Yahweh is the desire of the nations. What this prophet is speaking is something that's true, deeper and beyond anything we can observe, anything we can feel. That objective in humanity is this, that Yahweh is the desire of our hearts. You might look for it in a job. You might look for it in a purpose. You might look for it in a spouse. You might look for it in money. But at the end of it all, in the beginning of it all, Yahweh is the desire of all nations. The nations just haven't yet woken up to what their desire is. We've chased all of these things, yet the scriptures say there will be a, de- a, a day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Yahweh is the desire of the nations and Yahweh is the desire of your heart. Whether you feel it or not, whether you're having the best day of your life or the worst day of your life, you need to tell your heart what is true and it's what the prophet says, that Yahweh is the desire of the nations. This is worship. 
This is priesthood. This is what you're called to. This is humanity. This is fully alive. This is full of purpose. You are priests called to be in his presence, honor his presence, worship him in his presence, and take that to the ends of the earth. Because God will transform you in that place. And when you wake up and you go to the work, you go with his presence. You go with a transformed mind and a transformed body and a transformed heart and you give away what he gave you in his presence. But you don't have to leave his presence to go. His presence goes with you. It wasn't good enough for Jesus to stay in one place. He says, I got to go so my presence can go in everyone. So wherever they go, my presence is. Is anybody getting a glimpse for why you were born today? I was preparing this message today and I had less of a feely week than I normally have. There's times when I'm on my knees in tears and worship to God. And I'm not overly emotional as a person, but when I experience his presence, I cry. Thank God those are mostly in private moments. But I I kind of acknowledge the Lord this morning and I'm like, God, I haven't had many of those moments this week. But I sat with the word in front of me. I thought about you this morning. And I thought about what was true, not about my experience. Not about what I thought. I'm like, God, you know I love you. I didn't feel a lot of love this week. I didn't feel a lot of desire. But thank God at 35 years old, I'm not what I was at 25 years old, where I thought you completely abandoned me because I wasn't crying in a puddle of tears on the floor because I wasn't experienced the visceral, tangible experience of your presence. I know now that I don't need that stuff to desire you because I look at my life and I see what you've done. I see who you've been. And if I feel abandoned and if I feel close, if I feel sinful or shameful, it doesn't change anything about who he is or what he's called me to. Therefore, I can take whatever state I'm in and walk myself into his presence, into his throne room and minister to him and he receives it. Not because I've come to him with these fluttery emotions, because Jesus went first and I follow him and the trail of blood that he made for me. And I say all of my shame, all of my guilt, all of my feelings can stay out there. And I'm going in here because this is what's true and this is what matters. This is the gospel. We have a high priest who made a way where there was no way. And now as priests, we walk into his presence and say, God, my job is to minister to you. And when I experience your presence, in ministry it changes my life it changes my family it changes my church it changes my city so when we come here on a Sunday morning and when we spend a month focusing on what it means to worship we brand things with altars it's because we're reminding ourselves putting a stake in the ground to say this is who we are and this is what we were born to do we will worship the king come hell or high water He will get my worship. Amen. Can we close our eyes?
Just tell him right now what's true. Tell your heart what is true. Tell your body what is true. This is why we lift our hands when we don't feel like it. This is why we sing when our hearts sometimes are even disconnected from the words. We sing because it's true. To him be the glory. To him be the honor. To him be the praise. Forever and ever, amen. This is the cry of the human heart. He is the desire of nations. He is what your heart longs for. together this morning as priests we enter into his presence as children fully loved and fully received say God I won't live my life by what I feel I'll live my life by what you Some of you, it's on knees. Who are we and what do we come to do if we've not come to worship and honor the King? Honor your presence, Jesus. Teach us as a Jesus people to honor our access to your presence. Some of you just need to lift your hands. Not because you feel like it, because it's true. needs to inform your heart. 